Well, there's many things I should say, but uh, I need to go to work, okay? Will you stand with me, please? Praise God. One verse of scripture. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. So, I'm going to pull a word out of that verse. Mercies. Mercies. And if you have a good attitude, you can sit down. I'm forgetting something and I don't, for the like of me, I can't remember. It'll come to me. There are so many times in the word when you read something that sounds like this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mercy. Technically, the definition of it is uh, compassion, forbearance. To me, Mercy is not getting, not getting what we deserve. (laughs) First time it's mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis 19. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which you have showed saving my life. This is... Lot, Abraham's nephew, thanking angels for not only sparing his life, but the life of his family. And if you, I mean, uh, if you study what was going on in those twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, you realize God's mercy was magnified. So you have mercy and then you have magnified mercy. And then you have this. Lamentations chapter 3. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his passions, his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Not mercy, not even a magnified mercy. Mercies, plural. They're new every morning. This is the book of Lamentations. You have the book of Jeremiah. I think there's, what, 55 chapters in Jeremiah? Something like that. And immediately after Jeremiah, you have this small book, Lamentations. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And Lamentation 
These are his weepings. These are his lamentings. If you know your Bible, there were 12. You know, it just depends when you say the word Israel. The word Israel is a very elastic word. Um, Jacob wrestled with an angel. His name was changed to Israel. So in the beginning, Israel was a man, one man. I think it's, I don't know, probably 37 of Genesis where it says, now Israel loved Joseph. He's got 12 boys. The boys become extended families without getting too technical, 10 sons, two grandsons. They are known as the 12 tribes of Israel. So now Israel is a consortium of 12 extended families called tribes. A little later on in the Bible, the 12 tribes divide. There are 10 tribes that keep the name Israel. There are two tribes that go under the name Judah. That explains 1 and 2 Kings. If you read 1 and 2 Kings, one chapter will say, and he was the king of Israel. And the next chapter says, and he was the king of Judah. And it keeps bouncing back and forth. Doesn't make sense unless you understand they were divided. Israel went into captivity first with the Assyrians. Judah followed them several years later and they came under the captivity of Babylon. So the book of Jeremiah is the final effort of the Lord speaking through a prophet, trying to turn these people around. He's a prophet to Judah. And as he prophesies, he realizes they're not listening. And he sees the inevitable horror of what they're about to experience. And thus, lamentations are his words of despair as he realizes nobody's listening to me. Bill Clinton one time said being president is like being the overseer of a, of a graveyard. He said, there's a lot of people under you, but nobody's listening. And uh, there are, however, some wonderful verses attached to this. Here's one that's always amazed me. This is in Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So Daniel is in Babylon and this is what he reads. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation. So Daniel is in Babylon reading Jeremiah. And he realizes they've almost been there for 70 years. And he realizes 
we're getting out. And the reason he had such faith was because of the writings of Jeremiah. It's fascinating when you go on in Daniel chapter 9. He said, when I understood by the, the, the books, understood by reading Jeremiah, 70 years were yet. The very next, I think it's the next verse, he said, then I set myself to fast and pray with sackcloth and ashes and weeping. You know, the deal is, wait a minute, Daniel, you, you know what God's going to do. So why all the prayer? Why all the intercession? Why all the weeping? Because Daniel was not convinced just knowing what God was going to do. He wanted to be involved. It's, when you study the word, we know what God wants to do. I just don't want to be a bystander. I want to be involved in what God's doing. And, uh, but whatever, that's, I'm off my message. To put it mildly, very mildly, Lamentations is a very depressing book. It is filled with the despair of a man who uh, is on the eastern seashore trying to keep the sun from coming up. It's hopeless. <laughs> and for the most part, so is Lamentations. And yet, right smack dab in the middle of all of this despair and this weeping, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Mercies. It appears to me that mercy doesn't just come in one flavor. It far exceeds anything that we can really comprehend. They're new every morning. I, it's been several years ago, but I came across the writings of an old teacher, a scholar, many, many years ago by the name of Justin and Justin believed the word of the Lord literally. And uh, so it took him several years, but he believed that he could trace the beginning back to a specific day. And his specific day was October the 23rd, 2000 or 4004 BC at nine o'clock in the morning. That's when he believed the clock started ticking and when things started. I'm, I'm not qualified to debate the pros and cons of the man's scholarship, but just for the sake of my lesson, let's say he's right. Let's say the thing started 4004 BC on the 23rd of October at nine in the morning. So I did the math. That's 2,199, 2,199,398 days. 2,199, 2,199,000 
398 different varieties of mercy. It says they're new every morning. Now, if it was mercy, we could just say, you just reset the clock every day. But it's not mercy, it's mercies. I don't know when it was, but I, I did a lesson years ago called a sermon from a backslid preacher. In Ecclesiastes chapter one and verse one, Solomon calls himself the preacher. And uh, the very next verse, he said, everything's vanity. <clears throat> and if that isn't depressing enough, this is what he said in verse nine. There's nothing new under the sun. And when you study his life, when he wrote this, this is one very, very backslid preacher. He's got 700 wives, 300 girlfriends. Man, I, I got one. I can't imagine. I tell when I go to speak, I say, give me a good offering because not only are we building a new church, I run a girl's home. <laughs> I need a lot of money. Mother, Renee, Ashley, all the other girls. I forget how many of them we've raised. It's a bunch. My water bill is a part of the national debt. Girls, when they get a shower, they don't use one towel. They stand on one towel. They wrap another one around their body and they put number three on their head. Three towels. Every time they get a shower. I can stand outside of my house and watch the water meter going. It's like, turn, it's like I became my dad, you know, turn something off. 700 wives. Are you stupid or what, man? His entire life was decadence and just waste. I'm here to remind you that Solomon was wrong because there was a New Testament that would introduce us to a new high priest who would teach us a new covenant and a new birth. And we would experience what the Bible calls a new and living way. And we would sing a new song as we're making our way to the new Jerusalem. Have a new body. In fact, a preacher who was not backslid by the name of Paul said, if any man be in Christ, all things have become new. I guess you could give Solomon one consideration because he was talking about things under the sun. This is what David said in Psalms 113. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high. Someone spoke to me after the first service and said, that's the problem. He knew the S-U-N, but didn't know the S-O-N. There was something higher than the sun. 
because our sun is nothing more than just one of kabillions of Christmas lights that he strung throughout the universe to magnify himself. There is something that Solomon forgot that one of the most depressed preachers in the Bible didn't forget. New mercies every day. Trying somehow to think, how in the world can I convey this to people? Two million, two hundred thousand. How, how, how can I? And, and then I, I stumbled upon it. I think I have the perfect example to explain my message to you today. Clouds. Clouds. Scientists have 10 different kinds of clouds. You can, to me, you can break it down into three. You got cumulus, which are then big puffy things look like balls of cotton. And you got, you know, stratus and cirrus. I was driving around yesterday after the rain. And I just kept stopping and thinking that'd be a great picture. And that would be a great picture. I don't think I've ever seen a book that just had pictures of clouds. I've never seen the same cloud two days in a row. Every time I see a cloud, in some way it's different than what I saw before. I, I, I uh, got this goose down here at the turnaround at 18. He walks funny. Probably had a bad day with a bumper. I call it pneumonia. I know how he feels. I call him Fred. Every other goose looks the same. Not Fred. Ashley and I go to Stony Creek a couple times every week looking for deers. We had a piebald. I don't know if you know what a piebald is, a deer that's white, mostly white, a little bit of brown. I don't know if they grow out of it. We just found this deer and we called him Frank. Every other deer looked the same, not Frank. I have never walked out of my house and said, that's the same cloud that was there yesterday. <laughs> never, not a squadouche. Every cloud you see is different. And when you think of it, with the exception of the Spirit of the Lord, there's only one thing still here that was here on the day he left. Bible says in Acts that a cloud received him out of their sight. Revelation 1 and 7 says he's coming with clouds. Explains the angel that said, He's coming in like manner. So the next time you see a magnificent cloud, ask yourself, I wonder if that's the one he's behind. I wonder if that's the one that precedes his coming. It's going to be a day just like today. You're going to wake up, brush your teeth, comb your hair, get dressed and say, okay. And all of a sudden, bam! You're there. It doesn't, it's, it doesn't say, it's, it's not blink. 
It's twink. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Smart people say that's a ninth of a second. Think of that, man. You're somewhere between the toothpaste and the deodorant. And all of a sudden, bam, you're there. Bible talks about 30 minutes of silence. I think it's the grand sila of the ages. It's like somebody punched you right in the gut and you can't, you're speechless. You just say, I made it. <laughs> I made it. And you, all you could do is look at somebody you know and go, No words to describe that. I think just as much variety as there is in clouds, there's that much variety in mercy. Mercies. You and I, every time you see a cloud, you need to be reminded, I have access to a brand new kind of mercy today. It's unlike yesterday, has nothing in common with tomorrow. I mean, think of it, right? Just how, how unique this day is. I, I don't, when they say there's 7 billion people on the planet, tomorrow, a bunch of them are going to be dead that are on here today. There are so many variables from one day to the next. It is impossible to compare days. There are no two days exactly alike. And today you and I have access to a brand new species of mercy. Now, there's two church houses in the Old Testament. You have the portable one called the Tabernacle of Moses. And then you have the permanent one called the Temple of Solomon. When you study the dimensions of the Tabernacle of Moses, you know, outer court, holy place, holy of holies. Sometimes it's called the Oracle. But there, we have specific dimensions in the Bible for Holy of Holies in Tabernacle of Moses, 10 cubits by 10 cubits by 10 cubits. But listen to this verse in 1 Kings 6 and 20. And the oracle in the forepart was 20 cubits in length, 20 cubits in breadth, and 20 cubits in the height thereof. And he overlaid it with pure gold. I used to think that meant that the Holy of Holies and the Temple of Solomon was twice as big as the Tabernacle of Moses. But I was teaching one time in Chicago and a math teacher came up and said, no, 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 Pastor Hoffman. Think of it in terms of a box. He said, if you have a box 10 by 10 by 10, and now you have a box 20 by 20 by 20, I'm sure Matthew by now has got an illustration behind me. You see what I'm talking about. You've got to have eight cubes, 10 by 10 by 10. 
to have a room that's 20 by 20 by 20. The Holy of Holies and the Temple of Solomon was eight times bigger than the Holy of Holies in the Tabernacle of Moses, which explains this great verse. And the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than that of the former. My father-in-law knew a lot of those elders from the early days of Pentecost. Men like Harry Branding in St. Louis and a man named Witherspoon who was in Columbus, Ohio. He told me, he said, there was always a debate, Harold. There always was. He said, you had some very sober, somber preachers who said, when the son of man comes, is he going to find faith? And the love of many is going to wax cold and there's going to be a great falling away. And we're going to get fewer and purer, you know, as we go on. But he said the flip side of the coin was there were people that believed the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the former and greater things than these shall you do. I've lived long enough to realize they're both right. (laughs) There are people who believe that, you know, the church is going to get smaller and smaller and theirs does. And there are others who believe. When I was a kid, I drove Billy Cole in West Virginia. He was building a church in Wheeling. I used to drive Billy Cole to his meetings because he never went anywhere alone. We have a picture somewhere in his church. I think it's out in the hall. It's a meeting in Ethiopia. There was 600,000 people at that meeting. 150,000 plus got the Holy Ghost. You can't believe how much criticism Billy Cole got for saying that. (laughs) Billy used to have a phrase, literally thousands received the Holy Ghost. Not T-H-T-O-U-S, thousands. That's big, that's more than thousands. Literally thousands. And people said, Billy, it was hyperbole and he was exaggerating. But the problem with that is in Ethiopia, when you were filled with the Holy Spirit, you had to sign a book. I've seen the picture of the, the books of life, they called them. You put your name in there. You, if you were married, you put your wife in there. You put your mom and dad's name. If you, if, if you were married, you put your, 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 your mother-in-law and your father-in-law in the book. And then Billy took my brains out of my head and put them on a sidewalk and washed them off and put them dripping back in my head. And he just messed with my head when he said, do you realize, Harold, there's nothing in the Bible that big. Because to me, the, the Bible was the ultimate. But guess what? We've experienced things now in this world that far supersede anything in the Bible. <laughs> That's cool, man. So which camp are you going to be in? The fewer and the purer? And there's going to be a great falling away, which is a misnomer. The Greek word is episunagego, which means catching away, not falling away. <laughs> I, 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 I believe the thing's going to be eight times bigger. Find anything you want to in that Bible and multiply times eight. I don't know eight, what eight is times 120. I can figure it out. Maybe 960. 
That's bigger than 120. Then there was 5,000, 3,000. Then the count was lost. Don't you get it? He can do exceedingly abundantly above whatever we ask or think. (laughs) You get what we're talking about here? In other words, no wonder it says that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable. Because it's not just talking about what you say, it's talking about what you think. So my deal is whatever we say and whatever we think, we're setting the bar. Someone not long ago, just not here, someone tried to reason with me and said, Harold, it's time to retire. You're stupid for building a $10 million building. Feather your retirement nest. It bugged me. It kind of depressed me. And I woke up Saturday morning and on, it was like it was written on the ceiling of my bedroom. Great reward only comes with great risk. Do you believe in me? Don't you get it? The way we talk and the way we think sets the bar. So what do we got to lose? Let's say big stuff. Let's think big stuff. Because wherever you put the ceiling, he promised I'll exceed that. We built a house a couple years ago. And I told the architect, I said, I don't want eight foot ceilings. He said, well, your rooms are not that big. I said, I want a 10 foot ceiling through the house. People thought I was crazy. But when you lift up the ceiling, man, you have the same size room, but it looks bigger. As the church, we have the ability to put the ceiling wherever you want. Now, if you were in the old church, the old church ceiling was seven foot. And Walt Marfa Chuck used to scrape the ceiling tiles. And that's when we knew we had a great move of God. When Walt scraped off the finish off the ceiling tile. Well, good luck, Walt. Let's see if you can scrape them off. What have we got to lose? Let's believe God for great stuff. I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm talking about confidence. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It, it just, it, according, listen to this verse. This is 1 Kings 6 and 20. And the oracle in the forepart or the Holy of Holies was 20 cubits in length, 20 cubits in breadth, 20 cubits in height. And he overlaid it with pure gold. (laughs) This is 1 Kings 6 and 30, NIV. He also covered the floors of both the inner and outer rooms of the temple with gold. If you know the tabernacle of Moses, it's portable. It's got these boards. And they're covered with gold. Those are the walls. The ceiling was a curtain that women took gold thread and sewed angels into the fabric of the ceiling. But there's one thing noticeably missing in the tabernacle of Moses. It's got no floor. 
Whenever I speak to young preachers, I always remind them of that. You know, the bush was caught on fire, but the bush didn't burn up. This is Harold right now, hopefully with a little bit of anointing, but it's still Harold. Let the fire of God come on your life, but it's still going to be you. All right. What are you saying? I'm saying your nose can be in Shekinah, but don't ever forget your feet still in dirt. You're still connected with this whole world. I don't care how much you talk in tongues. There's no floor in Moses's temple, tabernacle, but in the temple of Solomon, I mean, he had these boards, Moses had these silver bricks called, what were they? Well, they, they, they stuck them on the ground. They were like silver blocks with a notch in them. And, and they stuck those gold boards in them silver sockets. Then they sewed all the boards together and that's how they made the thing. I mean, they took it up and put it down at least 42 times. Not Solomon's temple, man. You're talking about rocks, stones. I always love this. It's just great analogy for a funeral. I, I, they're building a new house beside of me. Every morning I wake up to air compressors and, and miter saws and, and people yelling and, and all kinds of stuff. Not the temple of Solomon. It says you never heard a hammer. All the work was done off site. When they put that thing together, it was like Legos, man. When I was a kid, I used, my favorite toy was Lincoln Logs. I would entertain myself for hours building elaborate log houses. And they just tear it up and start all over again. The temple of Solomon was these beautifully shaped stones and cedar from Lebanon smell and uh, and then if that wasn't enough, he covers the whole thing with gold. The walls are gold. The ceiling's gold. The floor's gold. When I read that, I, I remembered this verse. This is 1 Kings 6 and verse 27. And he set the cherubims within the inner house. Stretch forth the wings of the cherubims so that the wing of the one touched the one wall and the wing of the other cherub touched the other wall and their wings touched one another in the middle of the house. Here's the NIV. The height of each cherub was 10 cubits. He placed the cherubim inside the innermost room of the temple, which is the Holy of Holies, with their wings spread out. The wing of one cherub touched one wall while the wing of the other angel touched the other wall and their wings touched in the middle of the room. It's 20 cubits long, but the cherubs, the angels are 10 cubits high and 10 cubits wide. So you got two of them. I read this story about this happy dog that went into this house of mirrors. And he walked into the house and all the dogs were smiling. And he kept going back again and again saying, happy dogs. And then the grumpy neighbor dog saw him do that one day. And he walked in the same house and it was full of grumpy dogs. And he said, I'm never going back. 
Think of it. Think of this. Put yourself. I wish I had time to explain to you the orders of the priests and how privileged it was for this one guy to go once a year, probably once in his lifetime into the Holy of Holies. You you read in the book of Luke when it talks about the father of John the Baptist and it says he was of the course of, I think it's Abiah. There's, There's dozens and dozens of courses of priests and when you spread it out over the 12 tribes and specifically deal with the tribe of Levi, you've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them one time in their life, one time. It was his week to serve in the temple. This is not the same priest going in there again and again. I'm telling you, this is a big deal. And you walk in and you see there's three kinds of light. Outside, you have natural light, sunlight. In the holy place, you have man-made light from the candlestick. But in the holy of holies, that's, that's this word, Shekinah. It's not in the Bible. It's from the rab, rabbi's writings. They were the one that coined the phrase. It, it means the glory, the shining, the incandescence. Seven times. Think of Jesus on the cross. He's got two holes in his wrist. That's two places where blood's coming from. He's got two holes in each ankle or one hole in each ankle. So now you've got four places that he's bleeding from. You've got his back, which is ripped apart. That's source of blood number five. You've got a crown of thorns on his head. That's six. You've got a spear in his side. That's seven. There's got to be seven splashes of blood. And this guy goes into this completely dark room and he can't see anything. And he's just shooting in the dark, man, like we are so often with the blood of the Lord. But I'm promising you, he had enough options within seven that sooner or later that blood that he'd crawled under that curtain with hit that mercy seat. And when that blood hit that mercy seat, wham! My mom says, why, why, why do you sweat so much when you preach? Because them lights up there. <laughs> it's hard up here right now. What was it like to be in the Holy of Holies in utter, complete black, pitch dark? And all of a sudden you make the wonderful, <laughs> your, the blood hits the mercy seat and the lights come on. But I'm not talking about the tabernacle of Moses. I'm talking about the temple of Solomon. What does it mean in Ephesians when it says we sit with him in heavenly places. See, there's only two seats in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. There's the mercy seat, and then there's the judgment seat. <laughs> so you gotta make a choice. See, he's not in the judgment seat right now. I met this rabbi years ago in Southfield, and he said, who made man? And I said, okay, Avram, I'll bite. God made man. No, it's not what it says. What's it say? And I said, I don't know. And he said, you call yourself a pastor and you don't know what it says? Quote two and seven. So fortunately I knew two and seven. And the Lord God formed man. He said, stop. Did you get it? And I said, no. He said, do it again. I said, and the Lord God, he said, stop. Did you get it yet? I said, no, sir, I didn't. 
He just shook his head in disgust. He said, let's go slower this time, Harold. What is Lord? I said, Adonai. What's it mean? Mercy. He said, what is God? I knew better than to say Yahweh. He would have slapped me. I said, Elohim. He said, good. What's, what's, what's that? I said, righteous judgment and justice. He said, did you get it? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, Harold. God made the fish and God made the stars and God made the trees. But when God got ready to make man, he knew man would need more than a judge. He knew man would need mercy. So it's the first introduction of a compound name for our God, Lord God, which opened the door for him. And I said, Abraham, let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, no, 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 no. We're not going there. There's a fascinating verse. It's one of the most technical verses in all the Bible. It's in Corinthians 15. It says there's coming a day when the son is going to deliver up to the, to the father so that God may be all in all. What does that mean? People get so confused with father, son, Holy Spirit. I keep asking people all the time. What do you think you're going to see when you go to heaven? Are you going to see an old man and then a younger version of the old man with all these scars and then a bird, a dove? No, you're going to see what John saw, one sitting on the throne. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I, 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 I'm a husband right now. Right now I'm a husband. Not only am I a husband, I'm a father. I'm a pastor at the very same time. See, right now, God is merciful. And he's come to this earth in flesh. He's the Lord God right now. The mercy precedes the judgment. But there's coming a day when his mercy's going to end. And the role of the sonship is going to be done that God may be all in all. It's the same God. The one that created the universe came to this earth in flesh and now dwells in us. It's the same. Bible said there's just one spirit. They're not a spirit of the Father separate from the spirit of the Son, separate from the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 and 4 said there's one spirit. There's just one, okay? And what you have to understand is that that God holds different roles at this time. But there's coming a day when he's not going to be our savior. There's coming a day when he's not going to show us mercy. There's going to be a day when the sonship is going to be over and God's going to be all in all. When that day happens, you better make sure you've got all your ducks in a row. Because I've done lots of funerals and I've attended more than I've ever done. And I found out an amazing revelation. You ready for this? Everybody wants to go to heaven. And the truth is, everybody's going to go. Here's the real bad part of it. Everybody doesn't get to stay. Because there's going to be a judgment. And if everybody was going to be saved, why do you need a judgment for? Some people are going to get there and get to see what they could have had. It's going to be a bad day. The Bible said, some people's sins precede them. Other people's sins follow them. You want them to precede you. 
You want to get your sin dealt with now. That's what repentance is all about. That's what water baptism in his name is all about. Amen. I mean, repentance brings you forgiveness, but water baptism gives you remission. Now you're clean, but you're empty. Now you need the Holy Ghost in your life to be able to keep clean. You understand the process? You don't, have, you don't have to be a nuclear brain surgeon to figure this one out. And what's so powerful about this whole story is that today, <laughs> today, we have access to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord is Adonai, mercy. You have access to the mercy of God. Think of, think of this. We're sitting in a heavenly place. There's only two seats. There's the mercy seat and the judgment seat. You want to be the judge? Good luck. Because if you sit in the judgment seat, you're going to sit there all by yourself. Because he's not sitting in the judgment seat yet. He will one day. But Paul didn't say we're going to. He said we're sitting with him now in heavenly places. There's only one other seat left. It's the mercy seat. Wouldn't you rather sit in the mercy seat with the Lord than to sit alone all by yourself in the judgment seat? I don't have time to tell people how to go to hell. I got, I got too much, too big of a job trying to get people into heaven. I've been criticized. Why don't you preach about hell more? When I was a kid, they, they preached into hell. You, you, you got scared to death. You came to the altar. That's pretty much the way it worked. It, it doesn't work anymore. You know why? Because people live in hell. They're not going to go to hell. They live in hell. You have any idea what it feels like to be divorced three times? You have any idea what it feels like? All the crap hole and all the garbage these people have been through. My job is not to preach you into hell. My job is to preach you out of hell. My job is to do my best to build a church that you come here and you got some hope and you feel like I can make this. That's our job. I believe there's a set of keys. I really do. And he gave keys to Peter. I think there's five keys on the ring. He gave Peter keys. Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles. But there's two keys he kept for himself. He said, I have the keys to death and hell. I've heard there's a death, hell, and a grave. Death and the grave is the same thing, sugar. It's just death and hell. I don't have that key. I'm not qualified to tell you, you're going to hell. That's up to the Lord to decide. I'm going to do my best to preach a message of hope to get people out of it. This is a pulpit. My job is to pull you out of the pit. That's what church ought to be. Criticize me if you want. Go to them hell breathers if you want to. I can't bring myself to that because I know me better than anybody else knows me. And I ought to be lost. Uh, is there anybody else in this room? You should have been dead, but you're, am I the only one with that story? I don't think so. I was the last one on an airplane years ago in Miami. They all died. I lived. I can tell you story after story. God spared me. Listen to me. If God, you are, you are not possible. You're not capable of being destroyed if God's not done with you yet. <laughs> do you believe God's done with you or do you believe you still have a ministry? You still have a voice. You still can affect somebody. 
I do. I believe you're indestructible until God's done with you. I got criticized. I did something a couple weeks ago. I talked about different lifestyles are going to be in heaven. They said, you mean God's got, listen, let me, let me give you some Bible. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves. It, it, am I the only one in this room willing to admit I stole stuff? <laughs> I, I met a guy years ago named Mel Fitcher. Mel Fisher was in, was in Key West, Florida. Mel Fisher did all this research about something called the De Atocha, which was a, a Spanish galleon that sank in the 1600s in a storm. For 18 years, Mel Gibson wore a shirt that said, today's the day, today's the day. And after 18 years, they finally sent a message back to their headquartered base. Today is the day we found it. Millions upon millions and millions of Spanish gold and silver. And, and those guys on them ships lied because they're smuggling stuff on there that wasn't on the manifest. Mel, Mel Fisher had a, had, a, had a necklace, a rope. You, you think these rappers, no, no, Mel Fisher's way ahead of these guys. He had a rope around his neck and that rope's over an inch in diameter. It went around his head three different times. Mel Fisher took his gold rope off of his neck, wrapped it around my head and said, preacher, I'll give you this priceless gold rope if you can tell me you've never lied and you've never stole something. And I just took the rope off and put it back on his head. <laughs> I don't think I'm the only one willing to admit I've lied. I don't think I'm the only one to admit that, 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 that I've stolen. H have you ever cursed? Have you ever done something you're ashamed of? Adulterers? Feminine abusers of them, thieves, covet. You ever covet something? Some girl wore a dress two days before you were going to wear it. You ever had that, that jealousy in your heart? Covetous revilers, extortioners, and such were some of you, but you're washed. You're justified. <laughs> you're sanctified. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Years ago, we had an evangelist preach for us. I'm not going to tell you who it was. When told everybody, my God, this Hoffman's liberal. They, they, they got women in there that aren't dressed modest. They got men in there. My God, have mercy. And I finally confronted that guy. I said, listen, Flash, when I come into church, I want to smell beer. Okay? I want to smell Coors. You can't smell Bud Light. They don't sell that no more. I, 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 want to, I, I don't want to just come in here and smell Chanel 5, 6, 7, and 8. I, I, want, I want tattoos. You got that? I want wallets with chains on it. I want people with hollow eyes. I want people with black rings under their eyeballs. I want people that this is their last shot. I want to walk into church and go, hot dog. We got potential converts in the house today. <laughs> don't you get it yeah, I'm, I'm preaching the word to you I don't have time to teach this to you but the blood's in the name and I'm preaching the name of the Lord the blood is being splashed in this room right now trust me it's going to hit mercy and when I think of it think of this you're in the holy of holies in Solomon's temple and all of a sudden you make the wonderful you, the blood hits the mercy seat what are you going to see? It's a room full of mirrors. It's 
gold walls, gold floors, gold ceiling. And all you're going to see, you're not just going to see in the tabernacle of Moses, there was two small angels on top of the mercy seat, but not at Solomon's temple, not in the latter house, not in the greater house. All of a sudden, I used to say something, you know, it says, and heaven kissed earth and we're right in the middle of the smack. It's just for goodness sakes, ladies and gentlemen, you splash that blood on that mercy seat. All of a sudden, it, it, you've got these giant angels with their arms around you. You're not looking at mercy seat. You're right in the middle of the thing. That's what church is. That's what's going on right now. There is an aspect of flavor, a version, a species of mercy that's available to you right now. Right now. Don't waste that. Don't squander that. Don't take that for granted. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. 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 It's one thing for it to be magnified. There's another verse that says, sure mercies. He's the father of mercy. Stand with me. Come, come with me around an altar. Just come with me. I won't embarrass you. Just come. God gave me something several years ago about the prodigal son. See, when I study the Bible, I highlight different words. So this is what the father said. Kill the fatted calf. So I highlighted the word kill. That didn't do anything for me. I highlighted calf. That didn't do anything for me. And then I highlighted the. And this is how you read it. Kill the fatty calf. Which means the servants knew exactly which cow he was talking about. So when the boy left, you know, you know when he came back, he did not say my boy was lost. He said my boy was dead. Am I speaking to someone here right now? You got a dead boy and you got a dead girl. Don't implode. Don't lose your faith. Cut, cut, that, cut that dude out of the herd and start feeding the cow with your prayer and your worship because your boy's coming back. Your girl's coming back. In the first service today, I taught some of this. As soon as I got done, a man came up to me and he said, you ain't gonna believe this. He said, when you said that thing about killing the fatty calf, he said, my boy called. He said, I haven't been in contact with my boy for 30 years. He said, my boy is thousands of miles away. But he called me today and said, dad, can I come back home? And he said, only on one condition. He said, you got to come to church with me. He said, I already checked that box. I'll be there. What's going on in this room right now? Mercy. Mercy. You know you should be dead. You should be on a garbage heap called could have been, should have been, might have been. 
But here you are breathing. Here you are standing right now. Why in the world do you think the enemy fought you so hard? Because you have the potential to be a powerful weapon in the hands of the Lord. That's why you've been fought so hard. Why don't you just throw that garbage right back in his face? And the bones which thou hast broken will rejoice. Hallelujah. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus. I shouldn't be here. I know me better than anybody else knows me, but you, you know me better than I know myself. I don't know my heart. Your word said my heart's wicked above all things. But here I am, been married to an angel for 43 years, been blessed with healthy children, healthy grandchildren. Have the privilege to pastor a church that, that most preachers would give body parts to pastor. I don't deserve this, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful, Lord. And I pray over these people right now because I'm qualified to pray over. My body's wearing out. My eyes don't work very good. A lot of teeth in my head don't belong to me. My hair's gone. I'm getting old, but I'm qualified to say I, I used to be young. But let me tell you what, I never had to beg. God always took care of me. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I pray over these people right now. If they've got to wash a boy, a girl. Oh, Jesus. I believe, Lord. Let something happen this week that gives them hope and gives them faith that you're working on the other end. You know and I show. I should be dead by now. Not just me, but the people in this room. I, I know you've spared us for a reason. Mercies. Mercies. Hallelujah. We had a pastor in our first service today. All of the power went out in the city where their church was. Most preachers would have stayed home. He brought his wife and one of his children to first service today. Steps were ordered because I knew what he was going through. And the people got around him and started to pray. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I learned a long time ago the enemy couldn't get to me or my wife. He tried to get to me through my kids. Put your hand on someone right now if it's appropriate. To all you precious people watching us remotely right now, would you bow your head wherever you are, driving in your living room? I don't care. Oh, Jesus. We are such fortunate people today. <laughs> there are so many people on the obituary page that would gladly trade places with us right now, even with our problems, even with our situation like to be on this side of the dirt, to have one more chance, to have one more shot. But here we are, Lord, living and breathing in your house, having heard your word, sensing your presence. Oh God, I, I am not gonna squander this moment. But I make a covenant with my brothers and sisters around this altar. I'm gonna please you with my life. I don't want you in the winking business ever again. Your word says there were times of ignorance. You had to turn your head and look the other way. I don't ever want you to have to turn your head from me again. I want you to look full on. Have you considered my servant here? I'm asking you, God, right now, 
that you be with these men and women right now. Oh God, I have no idea what I'm fighting. I have no idea what I'm up against right now, but you do. And I pray to the one that, because even if I knew what was going on, I couldn't still fix it. But I can pray to the one that can fix it. I'm praying for hope and faith to rise up in people's spirits right now, God, and grab onto what I'm saying. And as sure as there's a cloud in the sky, there's a new brand of mercy available for me right now. This is not Saturday's mercy. It has nothing to do with Monday. This is Sunday's mercy. I'm going to take advantage of it, and I'm going to wring it out until it's dry. Oh, God, I'm going to please you with my life. I ask you to forgive me of bitterness. I ask you to forgive me, God, of stupid stuff that I hung on to way too long. I learned that hate does more to the people that hold it than the people they pour it on. Oh, God, I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be a vessel of honor. I want the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be acceptable in your sight. I ask you, Lord, right now, I repent before you right now, God. I, I am not going to be the person that walked in here an hour ago. I'm going to serve you with my whole heart. I'm going to please you with my life. I'm not going to be stingy. I'm not going to be a thief. I'm not going to squander. I'm going to take advantage of this wonderful, not 